0: Hepatitis C is often known as a silent killer, since many people who are infected do not realize they have the disease. With few symptoms associated with hepatitis C, they may be infected for decades without realizing it. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Leslie Lynn, author of You Can Think Like a Psychiatrist, your host, and with me today, is Dr. Jorge Herrera. Dr. Herrera is Professor of Medicine and Assistant Director of the Division of Gastroenterology at the University of South Alabama College of Medicine in Mobile, Alabama. He has published numerous articles and journals, including the American Journal of Gastroenterology and Digestive Diseases. He also has contributed chapters to books such as Secrets in Gastroenterology and recently served as guest editor for practical gastroenterology on its viral hepatitis series. His current research focuses on high-dose antiviral therapy, as well as the use of pegylated interferon in the treatment of chronic hepatitis C infection. Welcome to ReachMD.
1: Thank you, Leslie. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me.
0: Oh, it's great to have you. Now, Dr. Herrera, what key questions should primary care docs ask their patients in order to determine if they may be at risk or even high risk for hepatitis C?
1: Yes, Leslie, this is very important. I think the key to diagnosing hepatitis C early on uh, is to ask of our, our patients if they are at risk. Now, one of the last things that doctors want is one more question to ask, one more thing to do that will delay their their workup of the patient. So one of the things that we suggest is to incorporate this into the review system, the form that either the nurses fills out or the patients fills out. And the main risk factors that we're looking for are parenteral exposure. For example, nowadays, the most common reason why people become infected with hepatitis C is uh, injection drug use. Now, we're not talking about people that you know, use drugs all the time. We're talking about people that maybe years ago when they went on spring break or something like that, they decided to to try something different and maybe use drugs two or three times. Maybe they did it for two or three months. And this was maybe 15 years ago. Many patients will not connect that to a current problem unless, unless you explain it to them. So even if it was only once, any kind of injection drug use is one of the most important risk factors. Unfortunately, before one thousand nine hundred and ninety two before we had a good test to screen for hepatitis C, the blood supply in the u s was contaminated with it so anyone who received blood transfusions before ninety two or any kind of blood products uh, is also a risk and, and should be tested. Those two will probably make up those two risks probably makes up. 90% of the patients that we see.
0: Okay, so IV drug abuse and a history of transfusion pre- Right, those pre-dating. are the main
1: things to ask for. Okay. And, uh, and, of course, any other kind of needle stick exposure. You know, when we talk about needle stick exposures, we always think about nurses and doctors and so forth. But there's a lot of people out there who are having their family take care of them a lot of diabetics out there that maybe are careless with their needles. So, you know, we need to inquire as to any possibilities for that kind of exposure. And also tattoos and, you know, piercing that is not done properly in places that take enough care to be sure there's no contamination. All of those things are potential ways that people can get infected.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, now especially, it seems like everybody has a tattoo and multiple things pierced.
1: Well, fortunately, most reputable tattoo parlors, you know, are inspected and, and follow the rules and make sure everything is done correctly. The problem is when you have those homemade tattoos or or for example the the other not the other day, but about a year ago I was at a drugstore where they were selling a body piercing kit, which is supposed to be for single use, but there were three teenagers and they were planning on sharing the the kit. So anything like that can easily transmit hepatitis C if not done correctly. Mm
0: -hmm. Now, although there often aren't many symptoms associated with hep C, what are the most common symptoms when they do occur?
1: That is a question that I get asked all the time. And I usually say none. The reason for that is that if we wait for the patient to have symptoms that are truly due to hepatitis C, we have not done our job. By the time a person gets symptoms from liver disease from hepatitis C, it's too late. We've missed the boat. So, you know, we're talking about the typical liver disease symptoms, jaundice, pruritus, uh, nausea, vomiting, right upper quadrant pain, you know, that kind of thing. By the time it gets to that point, we really missed the boat there. We want to find these patients when they have no symptoms. Now, I'll be the first one to tell you that if you read the books and everything else, they're going to list fatigue as a common symptom of hepatitis C. I have a problem with that. Everyone, including myself, is fatigued. <laughs> right. well, you know, there's so many people that are fatigued that... In my practice, I find that uh, many patients with hepatitis C that are found by chance have no symptoms at all. And many people who are fatigued do not have hepatitis C. So I'm I'm reluctant to say that they go hand in hand. Is there an occasional patient that the hepatitis C causes fatigue? Sure. But I think that's the exception rather than the rule. I go back to the risk factors. You always want to ask about those. Maybe make up a form that patients can read and say, yes, I'm at risk or not. And don't wait for any symptoms. To test them, the, the the person that comes to your office with hepatitis C is going to be a person that is there for the treatment of hypertension, diabetes, COPD, asthma, not for liver disease. You don't want to wait that long.
0: Okay, so if they have a risk factor, test them.
1: That's right, and and the only way you're going to know is ask it. Now you also need to realize that a lot of these risk factors are very personal things. You know, a 40 year old man who may be the head of a company or may have may, may be the minister in a church or what have you may not want to tell you that when he was a teenager, he went crazy for a week and used drugs. So, you know, you don't want to be accusing. You don't want to be accusatory. So I suggest that maybe doctors make up a list. These are the risk factors. Are you at risk? You don't have to tell us why. All you want to know is whether or not they need to be tested. Hmm. The, the The other thing to do that will trigger testing is elevated liver enzymes of any degree. You know, many patients get liver tests done for whatever reason. Maybe they're diabetic or what have you. Anytime you see any elevated ALT, I don't care if it's only two or three points above normal, test them. You know that is all you need. You don't need a risk factor. If you see any abnormal liver test, test them. Realizing that many patients with hepatitis C have normal liver enzymes, so that is why, if you have risk factors, you have to do both the liver enzymes and the and the test for hepatitis C. But definitely, if you have elevated enzymes, even in the absence of risk factors, you got to test them for for hepatitis C.
0: So, what are the current standard tests available to screen for hepatitis C? The
1: tests are have is the antibody uh, for hepatitis C is called the anti-HCV antibody. It is widely available. You can get it anywhere. It is cheap to do, relatively speaking. You can get it as cheap as ten dollars, depending where where you get your blood work at. Uh, and it is a good test. <clears throat> if you read the older literature, when it when this test first came out in 1992, it was pretty bad. But now we are on the third generation testing, and it is extremely specific and extremely sensitive. Mm. So that if you have a person that uh, either has abnormal liver tests, risk factors, or both, and you get this test and it's positive, uh, you have a 98% chance that you're dealing with hepatitis C. The situation is a little bit different if you have immunocompromised individuals. And the two most common groups in which we find this are people on chronic hemodialysis and people that may be co-infected with HIV, which is not on the treatment, is you know, out of control or advanced HIV. In those situations, the antibody may not be accurate enough to detect infection. And then the, the only other time that you have to be careful interpreting the antibody is when the antibody is positive, but the person denies risk factors and has normal liver enzymes. Uh, and this situation can arise when someone goes to a screening program on a health fair or maybe goes to donate blood or things like that where they get tested for hepatitis C. And in in these two situations, when you suspect that the result is a false positive or false negative, then the next step or the next test that you will order will be what is called a hepatitis C PCR, hepatitis C RNA by PCR. What that is, is you measure the actual virus in the blood by polymerase chain reaction. Uh, It is a a more expensive test. Uh, It needs to be sent to a reference lab. It is not recommended as a first-line testing for those reasons. And the only reason you would do that is when you question the results of your antibody test. So, for example, if the patient went to a health fair, they they tested positive on the antibody, the liver tests are normal, there's no risk factor, you want to do the PCR to be sure that the virus is there. If it's not, then you had a false positive reading. In the case of the dialysis patient where the hepatitis C antibody was negative, you still think, you know, this person is immunocompromised, maybe they can't create that antibody response, so let's go ahead and do the PCR to be sure that they're negative. So that's how you use those two tests. Uh, But I do want to say one important thing, and this is a message that I I feel passionate about. The uh, hepatitis C PCR test comes in two types. Most labs now are doing what is called a quantitation, which gives you a number. In hepatitis C, the the amount of virus in the blood does not predict the natural history of the disease. And this is very confusing to doctors because, you know, when you look at HIV, when you look at hepatitis B, the more virus in the blood, the worse the disease. In hepatitis C, that is not true. And for that reason, I recommend that the primary care doctor who decides that they need to do a PCR test to order a qualitative test. Qualitative test is a PCR test that will say yes or no, the virus is present, but will not give you a number. Because when patients hear that they have 4,850,000 units of virus in the blood, they they go crazy. Mm -hmm. And there's no meaning to that. The same way that there's no need to check the viral load every year to see how the patient is doing It is important that doctors realize that viral load and hepatitis C does not correlate with severity of disease. And the only time that we measure viral load is when we're going to treat a patient so that we have a baseline and we can show that they're responding to treatment. But otherwise, in the day-to-day or year-to-year management of these patients who are not on treatment, there's no need to do a viral load.
0: Now, I would hope that the qualitative test might be less expensive than the quantitative test as well.
1: It is. And not only is it less expensive, but it's in most cases, not always, depending which lab company you're using, in, in many cases, it's more sensitive. In other words, the qualitative test is able to detect lower levels of virus in the blood. And it is less expensive, uh, for sure, than the quantitative test.
0: Okay. So do the quantitative test never, it sounds like. Well, and...
1: that's what the specialists. When when okay. we're ready to treat, okay. that's when we need it. But at the primary care setting, when you just want to know whether or not the person really has virus present, a qualitative test is the one to do.
0: Great. Now, how do we know when to refer to you?
1: Well, I think that there's one step more to take before referring the patient. Uh, and I think that you know, when the primary care doctor diagnoses hepatitis C, they need to take a step back and do a little bit of education, because one of the main things that I say in my practice is patients calling hysterical because they can't get an appointment for three weeks and they were just diagnosed with hepatitis mm. C. And no one has taken the time to tell them, listen, you've had this for 20 years. It's okay to wait three weeks. Uh, they think it's something that they just found that is eating up their livers and that they're going to die tomorrow. And, and we need to take a step back and maybe identify someone in your practice that wants to learn a little bit more about hepatitis C, a nurse, a medical assistant, that will take an extra five or ten minutes with the patient. And, and take the time to tell them that even though this is a new diagnosis, Based on the history, they suspect it's been there for a while and reassure them that the liver tests are okay, and that yes they they may need to see a specialist, but there's no real rush. you know, I hope that any primary care physician that is listening here today will incorporate that into their practice.
0: How common is hepatitis c
1: it, it is quite common it is quite common, of course, that seems like it's all that I see, but i <laughs> right. you right know, for you, it's get, common. I what I about the rest of us to me all the time <laughs> but if you look at these statistics, which are I think inaccurate. The CDC says that 1.8% of the U.S. population has hepatitis C. Now, the reason that that's not totally accurate is that when those numbers were created, they did not study any veterans, any people in the prisons, or any institutionalized. Those are groups that have a very high prevalence of hepatitis C. So some estimates that I've tried to correct for that estimate that there's about 7 million people in the U.S. with hep C. You know, I still think there's more than that. I seem to see 7 million every month. Well, you know, I'm exaggerating, <laughs> but, but it, it's not that uncommon, unfortunately. So it is something that if you're not, if the primary care doctor are not seeing this in their practice, they're missing it mm-hmm. and, uh, because it is fairly common. And
0: really probably should be seeing it every week if it's that common.
1: Yes, depending what kind of practice you have. And the problem is that it's silent. If you don't go out looking for it, you won't find it until it hits you in the face, and then it's too late.
0: Well, thank you so much for being on our show today.
1: You're welcome. My pleasure.
0: We've been discussing hepatitis C with Dr. Jorge Herrera. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your questions and comments. Please visit us at ReachMD.com. Thank you for listening.